Hook em up with E and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. Welcome to Friday on Hook em Up with E and Rod P. That means we are just over 24 hours to the Longhorns matchup with 24th ranked Kansas. Might be. It's fair to say this will be the only ranked matchup at home this season. Or matchup against a ranked team at home this season. Do they play West Virginia in Morgantown? They don't or play hey, West Virginia. They don't year. play them at all. Nope. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the that four was a outs. Uh, yeah, I mean, this will be a 24th ranked Kansas. They're 4-0. Um, K-State, I guess, could by, you know, technically by November 4th when they come here. Yeah. K-State lost to Missouri, but that was on a 61-yard field goal, you know, at the gun to lose to a, on the road to an SEC team. And I think typically Chris Kleiman teams keep getting better as the year goes on. So they could be in the top 25 when they come here November 4th. Uh, BYU, you know, they're the 28th. They're that, uh, you know, Longhorns come out of the bye week after the Oklahoma game with Houston down at Houston, then back-to-back home games with BYU and Kansas State. Then they go to TCU, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. So, I mean, if it's not Kansas State, I don't think there'll be another ranked matchup at the at uh, DKR this year, but uh, and I, I guess BYU could play their way back. I just don't think they're that good. They're challenged offensively, and we saw that last week with Kansas. Kansas's defense has improved, but they scored two defensive touchdowns against BYU, or BYU may have won that game uh, there. But uh, impressive that BYU went and beat Arkansas. Yep. Now I'm eager to see what Arkansas looks like against Texas A&M tomorrow. Uh, they're going to play that game at Jerry World, uh, AT&T Stadium, and uh, of course A&M's going with their backup quarterback now with Max Johnson in the game after uh, unfortunately Connor Wiegman. Uh, suffered that foot injury. He's going to miss the remainder of the season for Jimbo Fisher. That's a that's another year. So you Aggie fans can tell me when was the last time the Aggies kept their starting quarterback healthy God, really? for a full season. I mean, I think it was all the way back to Kellen Mond. I mean, you go back three, four years now since they had a quarterback play a full season. I mean, it's uh, it's every year now. And I don't. I'm not saying that's a, an excuse for for Jimbo Fisher because the offense has been bad, but they've had serious issues keeping quarterbacks healthy. Um, down at Texas A&M, and that's a fear for every team, right? We got Texas Tech down their starting quarterback. Baylor's been out their starting quarterback, uh, and now the Aggies. And uh, this is it can happen quick. I mean, the Connor Wiegman thing came on a, on a bang bang play right near the goal line. He was he was trying to throw it out of his end zone. Guy rolled up on his foot, and it can happen that quick. So Quinn Ewers off to a great start for Texas, but you want to keep him healthy right now. Oh man, well I I, th- I think the chances of of Ewers staying healthy really went up after he lost that weight. I mean Ewers down the sideline wasn't that a surprise? His did he, touchdown did he got the down. I mean that 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 I just you wouldn't see that last year. I mean he is so much more mobile. That was a really exciting play. I, well, I, that, I, I came up out of my seat on that one when he went down the sideline. He almost stumbled and fell though. I, to you, the uh, house. <laughs> I don't I don't think as uh, Steve Sarkeesian said during training camp he was running 20 miles an hour as Ar- as Arch Manning apparently did during a uh, run during uh, during fall camp or uh, August camp uh, but yeah he's he's faster yeah. so it's, it's funny before the season we had the legendary Todd Dodge on our show Todd Dodge the uh, Westlake coach and Southlake Carroll he won seven state titles and he said because his son Riley coaches at Southlake Carroll and actually coached Quinn Ewers in high school and we asked him about Quinn and he said man he looks great he said I remember when Quinn was was a sophomore and junior in high school he was running track he was on the track team in addition to the football team. He was doing it just to, to get faster and sure. be more explosive. And he said he was a pretty good athlete. He was 4 by 100 team. 4 right? by 100 or whatever. So, yeah. Boy, you would have never convinced <laughs> me of that last year. No. Uh, I, I mean, I thought he was one of the most immobile quarterbacks in the conference. Well, but... he scored t- rushing touchdowns in 
like every game this year, hadn't he? I mean, uh, the Baylor game was the long run, but he's those red zone zone read keepers that he's got. He's got one against Rice. He had one against Wyoming. Uh, he didn't score one against Alabama. So three of the four games this but year. But that was his best passing performance. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, if you have to pull something and say, what what's a signature deal? No turnovers. I mean, that's just he, – they're, they're playing such mistake-free football. Not so much now on special teams, but, but I mean, man, the offense is really protecting the ball. I'm of the opinion this could be the game where Texas does do something on special teams because – you know, whatever happened last week with the wind blowing and Sark talked about a knuckleball that kind of got to X, X-Man's pads and Jordan Whittington. There was something going on because you had three of your best players and more more reliable players drop balls. It wasn't just about focus. But either way, you know it was a point of emphasis all week long. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a – because X-Worthy's – X-Man's been a shoestring tackle a couple of times away from taking one already yes. this year a couple of times. Yep. I could see him getting one or a block kick. One of those uh, yeah. you know, double thuds that uh, flipped the game uh, against his Kansas team. Special teams could come to the front in this game against the, against the Jayhawks. Let's get to the other headlines. Trending topics. We have breaking news from Rome. <laughs> Top Gun, Reynolds and Lawn Equipment bring it to you. And yeah, afternoon sessions in uh, Rome. The United States leads in their first match of the day. That's right. If you're just waking up, U.S. Ryder Cup team looking to end that 30-year drought of Ryder Cups played outside the United States. And so far, it's been so bad for Team USA. An absolute Roman romp this morning in the foursome sessions. Team Europe claimed all four matches. And as we said, the U.S. never led in any of them. Uh, they have a 4 nothing lead after the first half day. The afternoon four-ball matches are underway. USA looking to bounce back. As we said, they're actually tied in the uh, couple of matches and lead one for the first time all day. Uh, they need some points uh, and need them quickly. Texas football third-ranked Longhorn set to host uh, Kansas tomorrow, as we met, 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 mentioned. Matchup of 4-0 teams at DKR. If uh, recent history is an indicator, offense will not be a problem for Texas tomorrow. They've scored 50 or more points in each of their last three matchups with the Jayhawks, including that 54-55-14 demolition last November. The two previous matchups, though, the defense was a challenge. Defense has allowed 56 and 48 points in shootout, a shootout win. And, of course, that brutal overtime loss two years ago with the Big 12's preseason offensive player of the year at quarterback, Jalen Daniels, leading that unique and explosive KU offense. Safe to say, Texas defense will be tested tomorrow. Well, I think it's important that we, we play a disciplined brand of football, first of all. Uh, I think we've got to have great eyes. We've got to have great communication so that we're we're tied on a string, that everybody's working well together, uh, that everybody trusts their keys, what they need to do, and that they can trust the guy next to him, that he's going to do what he's supposed to do. Uh, that That's always important, especially when you start talking about option football. You know, everybody's got to have their rules and, and be dialed into that. Option football coming your way. 2.30 tomorrow, our pregame coverage live from uh, the drag, Guadalupe. The Mockingbird Saloon at noon tomorrow. Rod Babers will rejoin me for that uh, two-hour pregame program. Uh, also tomorrow on college football around the state, Baylor off to that tough start. They go to UCF to play Central Florida. Uh, Texas Tech will host Houston. TCU welcomes West Virginia. A&M, as we mentioned, facing Arkansas up in Arlington. Texas State traveling to Southern Miss tomorrow night. NFL Week 4 kicked off last night at Lambeau Field and no contest. Detroit Lions posted a statement win and moved to the top of the NFC North with a 34-20 win. It was 27 to nothing, or 27-3 at halftime. Packers uh, Lions outgained the Packers 260 yards to 31 in the first two quarters. Full slate of Week 4 action coming up Sunday, including the Texans coming off their first win of the season, hosting the Steelers down in Houston at noon. Late in the afternoon window, the uh, Cowboys off their first loss of the year, welcoming the, the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, and the Pats to AT&T Stadium in a marquee matchup. Game will, of course, mark the return of former Cowboys running back Zeke Elliott. 
Game kicks at 325. Major League Baseball frustrating night in Seattle for the Texas Rangers. Uh, up 2-1 to one and one out away from clinching their first playoff spot in seven years. But Brandon Crawford ripped a two-out, two-run bases loaded double to rally the homestanding Mariners to a 3-2 walk-off win. Texas still has a magic number of one to clinch a playoff berth. The Idle Astros were are a half game or a game back uh, in the AL West, a game and a half back, and they're one game up on Seattle in the in the race for the final wild card spot. Corn headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. The heat's made us crazy. Get up to $100 off select steel backpack blowers and employee pricing on all zero-turn mowers in stock this month at Top Gun. TopGun.net will shoot you straight. Now that lead that the uh, U.S. had at the Ryder Cup is now gone. It's now back to have Victor Hovland. That was a good minute and a half. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> fun while it lasted. Nice while it lasted. Hey, what kind of uh, reception do you think Elliot's going to get? Great. Great. Just like extended standing? I feel like if he rushed for 125 yards and had a great game, they won, and he he made an impact, impactful play at the end of the game. I think Cowboys fans would would cheer him on at the end of the game. Yeah, I think you're right. He's that I, kind of player. That's one of the. I mean, he's a, he's a fan favorite, and uh, he's one of my. He's probably my in my life because I I mean all the old Cowboys. I, I probably him and Tony Romo are my two favorite Cowboys. Well, ever. and Zeke had his issues, right? He had some immaturity problems coming through and uh, had to grow up. But boy, he. He took a pounding for that organization. He carried that offense for a stretch there with with the Romo transition to Dak. Um, you know, there's a lot of Cowboy fan debate about, you know, should they have drafted him number four overall? And then they, should they give him the big contract? And then the holdout and all those things. You know, but at the same time, that's Jerry. I mean, Jerry's the one that drafted a running back in the top five. Jerry's the one that then gave him the big contract. That, Fans always like liked Zeke just because he was so productive. He was so damn tough and so productive, yeah. and you know he's Dak's best friend. I mean, that's not a that's we, we kind of kid about that, but it's true. I mean, those are those are best buddies, and uh, so it'll be pretty emotional, I think. And I, I would say that Zeke will have a, coming off an eighty yard performance he had last week against the Jets. He had sixteen carries in that game. I think you're going to see a uh, a chip on the shoulder for for Zeke, a little little extra pep in the step to try to do something special back on that field. And um, you know, Cowboys. I mean, there's a lot of stories out there, and it's it's a it's a small sample size so far. But obviously, you can it's an easy story to write that the Cowboys are having red zone issues, kicking a lot of field goals, and you know Zeke was their their touchdown score. Even even in a, a year in which he couldn't average four yards a carry last year, he scored 12 touchdowns, uh, and most of them in short yarded situations for your Dallas Cowboys. I also think you know Tony Pollard, his replacement, scored two short yarded touchdowns against the Giants in Week One. Against the Cardinals last week, they were missing three starting offensive linemen, and we talked during the you know during training camp. If you saw the Cowboys' second line in in preseason games, they were bad, and we said, "Man, their front line guys, their starting five are good. If they lose a guy or two up front, they're going to be in trouble." And here you are. I mean, uh, the defense was lousy early last week, and then the offense with with when you're, when you're missing your starting center Tyler Biotish, your best player Zach Martin, and then Tyron Smith's out. I mean that's 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 a no, good chunk that's... of your run game right there, uh, Zach Martin inc- included. So uh, I don't know that it's it's too early. It, it's it, I think it's too early to say they can't run the ball. I think they need to get healthy up front. But if they can't, they're going to struggle because you know that the backups aren't very good. Well, and if you're a Cowboys fan, the, the Dak interception there was really depressing. I mean, you know, it just that was the worst way. It, to end it. was just you see him do that because well, they had the fourth down they went for, which they probably shouldn't have on the previous pull. I mean, there there was just a, that was a really frustrating game because you didn't expect to see the Cowboys getting whipped to start it yep and they got back into the game got the defense sorted out and then the offense couldn't you know couldn't get touchdowns score points uh, it was there for you 
and that was a frustrating game, kind of like the Rangers last night, kind of like watching this Ryder Cup team for USA. They're getting their, their butts kicked right now. Uh, give Europeans the Europeans credit. They are, are taking it to I mean, they, I mean, people don't don't know golf. There's momentum in golf, big time oh, momentum in and golf, especially when a team format yeah, like that. The the synergy among the different players. Yeah, you know? it's it, there's real momentum, and the Euros have really come out with it. And uh, I mean, they've staggered the USA with four points already, and uh, you can tell they're fired up to to defend their home turf the, there in Rome. The body language in the Ryder Cup is so different than a normal golf tournament. I mean, you know, the players all stand together in a group watching play on the green and I mean so many high fives and just the energy and it's just radiating off off of a team concept like that in an individual sport I love the Ryder Cup hey fire up uh, the Specs text line and remember actually the text line uh, our horn text line and it's got a new number 447-3776 it's 447-3776 appreciate uh, those coming in but right now uh, just past 715 let's go behind the burn orange curtain talk some Texas football here from Sark and they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, Steve Sarkeesian hosted his uh, weekly Thursday Zoom conference after practice yesterday morning and uh, always starts his either the Monday news conference or the Zoom on Thursday with an opening statement, kind of an overview of where they're at. Here's Sark yesterday. Uh, thoughts two days out to the Baylor game, now one day away. I think, first of all, just I'd like to say this is an exciting time uh, for college football. You know, you, you hit week five in the season. Um, we're, we're now we're, we're getting really kind of into conference play and um, the ball games, you know, become seems like more significant, more of a more importance. Um, and so to play Saturday here at DKR uh, in a top 25 matchup, two undefeated teams. Uh, this is why we we do what we do, right? This is why we work as hard as we work all off season. Um, this is why, you know, training camp is what it is. This is why you try to you know have a tough non-conference schedule to prepare for ball games like this. Should be a heck of an environment. Um, looking forward to uh, to to getting back to DKR with our fans. They were they were tremendous last week on the road at Baylor. I know they'll be they'll be fired up here to be at DKR. I think from our team's perspective. You know, one, we've got a great deal of respect for Kansas and the team that they have and what they've built uh, over three years. And they've got a they've got a lot of weapons offensively. They've got a great scheme. I think defensively, you know, it's easy to see the improvement that they've made over three years. Um, very opportunistic defense, one that creates turnovers and gets the ball out, plays a physical brand of football. So I know it's going to be a great challenge. Um, I know we're going to we're going to need to play with our best foot forward for four quarters. That's what that's what this game's going to take. Uh, interesting, de- opportunistic on defense. They got you know their their cornerback Kobe Kobe Bryant. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and remember there there's Kobe the, the the Mamba, the legendary late great Kobe Bryant. But then remember Cincinnati when they had Sauce Gardner, they had a corner opposite uh, Sauce Gardner named Kobe Bryant. The different people. Yeah, and he plays on the Seahawks, this, so. and he's in the NFL too. Yeah, and this is Kobe C O B C O B E E. Yeah, he rain- had a scoop and go, didn't he? Yeah, he I did. mean, he had a- he's the reigning Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Week, and he's a, he's one of the better cornerbacks in the in the Big Twelve. And I'll be interested to see how they utilize him. Do they try to, you know, because the, the conventional wisdom, you think he's going to be on X-Man, but you also could see if you can put him on a Donnie Mitchell or Adonai Mitchell and um, A.D. Mitchell and see if you can neutralize him a little bit and then you could roll some coverage, but you still got to deal with J.T. Sanders, and that's all the, the pressing problems that Texas puts on you. But let's hear Sark. You know, one of the things I've talked about when you talk about stopping this run game and this option-based attack, 
you know, you feel good if you're Texas and you put your head on the pillow at night if you're Steve Sarkeesian. When you've got Devondre Sweat and Byron Murphy in the middle and Jalen Ford right behind them, that's your – I mean, those those three guys last week against Baylor, you know, pro football focus grades every player, right, so the PFF grades. All three of those guys graded out to, a, to an All-American level. I mean, uh, Devondre Sweat was almost a 90 grade. Um, Murphy and Colin, Murphy and Ford were in the middle 80s. I mean, these guys are the middle of your defense, and if you can't block them – you really can't do much. It doesn't matter what your schemes are. Let's hear Sark talking about those two dudes in the middle. Tavondre Sweat, one of the senior, six-year senior leaders of this team, and Byron Murphy, what they bring to this defensive front and this defense in general. Yeah, I think I think the first thing that jumps out to me is their development. You know, from from where they were um, in year one and to where how far they've come in the program, not only as players but as people, as leaders in the program, um, I think they're very impactful, one, in their play, right? I mean, they make really critical plays at critical moments, but two, who they are on a daily basis. I think they set the tone uh, in that defensive line room, uh, in our entire defense, and a lot of times on our team. Um, I think that they've helped change kind of the mindset of a lot of the other players in that defensive line room in their development. We're, We're seeing a different version of Alfred Collins than we've ever seen. I saw the best version of Vernon Broughton last week. Uh, I've seen a better version of Trill Carter than we've seen all season last week. So I think there's a there's a level of, of, of a workman-like mentality in that room. And again, a lot of credit goes to Bo Davis for, for what he does with those guys. Um, but I, I do think it starts with Murph and Sweat and, and what they've done and the work that they've put in for three years to get themselves to this point to uh, to play this this sta- this style and this brand of football, and then most notably to be able to make those plays that they're making at critical moments. It's one thing to to play well, but how well do you play when you when you got to have it? And you know we've seen it from Sweat now. I think he has two fourth down stops where he's literally just defeating a block. It, it wasn't so much a scheme; it was him making a play. And so, on that front, you know I, I, I'm, I'm proud of those guys for what they're doing on the field, but I'm probably equally as proud of them of who they are off the field and, and what they're like on a daily basis in our building. Yeah, big stuff. You're, you're, when your leaders are leading yeah. and uh, setting the tone uh, and they're that good, uh, that bodes a good thing. Because, you know, we were out at Little Woodrose last night. Uh, Ty and I were there with Patrick and uh, doing the sports complex and our friends from Brown Distributing and giving away prizes. And, I, you know, if, if the, the popular question is, hey, when are they going to blow this thing? When are they going to stumble? That's just the, the conventional wisdom in, sure. in Longhorn fans' minds. And they might. I can't guarantee you they don't here tomorrow. But the reason I don't feel like they will is that defense. And that often, I mean, the way they play, and, and the fact that you said Quinn Ewers hadn't turned the ball over. Yeah. If those things don't change, Texas will win this game comfortably tomorrow. You know, and one thing that's encouraging if you're a Longhorn fan about this season, so far, every single game you go, this is the one they're going to lose because I've seen them lose games like this before. Every one of the games they've played, either falling behind or something like that, you think, you know, here, here's how they're going to lose because you're just so conditioned to it. I mean, they've, they've, I think they look great this year. They're, they're obviously taking care of the ball. But in each situation, in each game, they come to that plot point where you go, here's where they're going to lose because I've seen them do it so many times. And they haven't. Yeah, Wyoming was 10-10 starting the fourth quarter yeah. and 21 quick points. I mean, Falling obviously behind the Alabama, Alabama. You know, I mean, it just every every game you go, okay, here's here's well, where it happens. The Baylor game kind of felt like this Ryder Cup right now where it was just two sacks on the first, you know, three plays and Baylor had no answer. And you kind of feel like, all right, we feel pretty good about this. That's what you'd like to see tomorrow. 
Uh, but Kansas is better than Baylor by a mile. So this is a better and bigger test. But I'll say this, three things, then we've got to get a timeout. And we come back, we'll hear Sark talking about these 21-point flurries they go on. They've, they've had one in every game where they scored 21 points in a short amount of time. It was the third quarter against Rice, fourth quarter against Bama and Wyoming, and then in the second quarter in Waco last week. We'll hear his thoughts on that. But if these three things keep happening, the Longhorns don't turn the ball over, at least their quarterback doesn't, Quinn Ewers, they keep playing that kind of defense up front with Sweat, Murph, and uh, Jalen Ford, um, and they can have a 21-point quarter, they're not going to lose because you're not, you're not going to score enough to catch them, and they're not going to give you the ball, not going to give the ball away to give you easy opportunities to score. Those three things, I mean, you can just mark it down. If they, and again, 21 points is, is odd, but that just means you're playing really good complimentary football if you can score three touchdowns that quickly. And a couple of those have come defensively, right? A Jaron Thompson pick six. Yep. That, that, the, uh, the exclamation point. So it's, 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 it's the full team just saying, okay, let's just go take this game over uh, no matter what's happened to this point. That's impressive. They're, gonna, they're not going to lose many games, if any, if they continue to uh, have that recipe. We'll come back here, Sark, on these three touchdown outbursts. Also more on the weekend of college football, the NFL. What's your thought on Zeke's return? Uh, well, is it a, uh, are you excited to see Zeke in a different uniform? Will he get booed at Arlington on Sunday? I think not, but uh, we'll take your thoughts on the uh, text line, 512-447-3776. Also, uh, we'll do a little bullish or BS for the end of the hour. Monty Williams in the house on a Friday. Glad you're with us. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, hook em up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Friday is a football Friday. Rod Babers will be doing the uh, woo football Friday. You know that would be going, right? Uh, we'd be having that. But uh, Rod will be back tomorrow with us at noon over at the Mockingbird Saloon. Hey, Todd, I want to say this because you're a big Rangers fan, and I did not stay up late to see the Rangers blow the ninth inning lead last night. I will admit that. But I just saw the highlight of the uh, Brandon Crawford double that uh, scored two runs and the Mariners won in a walk-off. Um, but did it look to anybody else like the, uh, the left fielder should have caught the ball? Is that Evan Carter? Who's 32? Is that Evan Carter? Evan Carter, the one of the top prospects yeah. we called up recently. I don't know, because, I, again, it, it, the angle that I get could have been weird, uh, but it was, it was, the ball was, was kind of, it was a slicing double off the, the left-handed hitter's bat into, into left field. Uh, it was a pitch that uh, kind of cr- tail back over the middle of the plate. But you're looking at that, Monty. Does that look like he should catch that ball? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. This, so we're talking Nelson Cruz situation? Yeah. Here? I'm like, what are you doing? No, he, he he stopped running. He stopped running. And it came over his, it looked like he, it came over his other shoulder. He just like misread that or something. He should have caught that. I mean, like he, like the ball landed about a, two yeah, feet onto the warning hit track. The wall. And he was nearing the warning track. I, I Whether he lost it. And I don't want to bring that up because that would have clinched and... Now this, the We're Mariners fine. have life, and We're I don't fine. want to bring shades of Nelly Cruz to the to the fore. I just, uh, if I'm a Ranger fan, I would be frustrated if I stayed up for that. And that was the last out. That was the out to clinch the game, uh, because as we said, Aroldis Chapman came in and threw uh, Kerasing on the situation and. Gave up two hits and a walk, so the bases were loaded with nobody out. But then they went to Hernandez out of the bullpen, and he got the first two outs. He got you to, to two outs. And if um, Evan Carter makes the catch, that's an out. No, that that I, I really do think he, he lost that ball. I, I really do, because he was looking over his left shoulder like it was going to cut. And it was and slicing. It, I mean, I, this it, is like, things yeah, you can't see. Yeah, that's one thing you can't see. It's kind of curving away see. from him like a, like a boomerang, the way it came off the left-handed hitter's bat. Yeah. 
but still, you're a major league outfielder. I mean, that's that, and that's a very catchable ball. Um, and um, somebody said it's over his head is going to be the defining word on the tombstone of the Texas Rangers franchise. <laughs> Look, here's where I am. Here's where I am with this whole thing. The Rangers are probably going to make the playoffs. The Astros probably will make the playoffs. We're just trying to make. I sure. think. That, but yeah. I don't know, man. This thing, one of them's not making it. Yeah. You got the Astros, Blue Jays, Rangers, and Mariners. And, you know, I, you've got three days to go. And three days to go. Starts tonight. We're then. just trying to make sure the Astros don't make the playoffs. Give the Mariners a few wins before we seal the deal. Yeah, well, sound good? Mar- Mariners did the Astros no favor last night. But I think he should have caught that. I think Evans should have caught that. I'm trying to find it. J.P. Crawford. No, I keep saying Brandon Crawford. There's a Brandon Crawford in baseball, too. It's J.P. Crawford that had the big hit. And that, that Mariners were done, right? That was going to be a final nail. Cause yep. The Astros took two or three. The Mariners had, you know, the Rangers swept them last weekend in Arlington. They're fading, and they were down to their final out. And they lose that game. Rangers clinch, and the Astros, Astros gain another their, half yep. game as they're not playing last night. And now they're two up in the wild card, and uh, – Things are getting really dim for the Mariners at that point. But uh, ball drops, two-run score, walk-off win, momentum into tonight. So remember, there's three more. We've told you for the month now that the Rangers and Mariners will play three, four games head-to-head to end the season in Seattle. Uh, and here's the other thing that that assures. You know, if that ball drops or that ball's caught and the game's over, um, there won't be – I don't know there'll be a lot of Mariner fans at the game tomorrow, tonight. Uh, now there will be. That place will be packed oh, yeah. and hopping and playoff environment knowing that they're still alive and they'll be watching the scoreboard rooting for the Diamondbacks against the Astros. And uh, this thing's going to go. That was that was a that was a big no-catch last night, whether it was a weird read or a lights or the way the ball was spinning away from him. That was odd, and they you know, just saw it for the first time. Okay, let's uh, get back to Texas. We're behind the burnt orange curtain talking Longhorns. We mentioned it's not going well for Team – America and the Americans at the Ryder Cup, they're down 4 4 nothing and tied in all all the matches. Actually, the Euros lead, lead in one of the matches 4 up. So they're going to get another point. That's um, the McElroy yeah, Fitzpatrick. Rory's on fire uh, right now. Uh, he is, he, as we said in the morning sessions, which were middle of the night for us, the USA didn't win a point and they didn't lead at any point in any of the matches. And now here in this one, they're tied in three of the foursome matches. But uh, Roy McElroy's group is up four four up uh, on the Americans, so that's looking like they're going to get to five points. This thing could get ugly early in Rome. But uh, uh, Longhorns hoping to make sure it's not ugly early. And I wanted to hear Sark because I you know I've talked a lot about these twenty one point quarters and these flurries the Longhorns go on. It's really impressive. I mean, because the, the horns are they, they can be frustrating at times, and all those, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that was that was quick. Bang bang bang. Rice is out. Uh, Wyoming. Bang bang bang. Game over. Alabama. Uh, they take the lead at 16-13. Texas responds with with some haymakers. The next thing you know, they're up big uh, double digits. Did it to Baylor last week too. Took a seven nothing game and made it, or seven three game and made it twenty eight six three at the half. Well, here is uh, Sark on on this team explosion they have where they can separate in a football game. No, I don't. I don't have a name. I wish we could do that all the time. Uh, that, that, could we call that, it the Sarkeesian tri tip or something no. like that? Maybe? I, uh, you know, I think naturally as a coach, we always want, we always want it to be efficient and clean and, and really good execution and all of those things. Um, but you know, football, you know, historically is, is a game of momentum. Um, and I think when, when we can find momentum that way and find rhythm offensively, uh, I think it's helpful, but, but on the flip side of that, I think there's a, there's a, a idea you, you need to be able to play complementary football as well. And all three phases need to work really well together. 
Um, you know, one of, one of the coolest moments for me was Jalen Ford gets the interception right on fourth down. And then the offense goes 95 yards for a touchdown. Uh, Xavier gets the big punt return. Then we go two plays, you know, double pass Cedric Baxter touchdown. So this idea of complimentary football is something that we've been really trying to, to work on and preach that all three facets work well together. So as much as I, you know, want to credit, Hey, the offense did great. They're scoring three drives in a row. The defense is playing well in that in that same time frame. Special teams is is chipping in, so it all kind of goes hand in hand. Um, that we're we're capitalizing when we get turnovers and sudden changes. Um, we're getting critical stops defensively, and then the special teams is doing what they need to do to create their plays as well. Yeah, that's what we just said. I think that's uh, I hadn't heard Sark say that, but that's exactly. I mean, he's the coach, but the, it's complimentary. They don't just do it on one phase. When they erupt on you, they erupt in all phases, and uh, they've had defensive touchdowns in those twenty-one point bursts. They've had, you know, big plays, Xavier worthy punt returns. That that uh, you know, there is momentum. There's momentum in sports in a big way. Uh, you know, we saw it last night with the Detroit Lions just overwhelm the Green Bay Packers at home. The Ryder Cup's happening right now. Um, that's why I'm worried a little bit about the Rangers because momentum's a thing. And the uh, the Mariners had none of it uh, with two outs in the ninth. You know, certainly with no outs in the ninth last night. Uh, they were about to be, you know, death knell. And now they have momentum, or at least they have a spark that can lead to momentum, I guess is the way I should put it in that regard. But uh, here's a texture. Says, that type of loss often results in the assured ultimate loss. See Red Sox after Buckner. Yeah. <laughs> well, Rangers know very well with uh, – Nelson Cruz, that uh, they, they should have beaten the Cardinals in the 2011 World Series. And if he makes a catch, it's a very catchable ball up against the right field wall. That game's over. Yeah. And they're World Series champs. I don't, I don't want to bring that up. I still think the Rangers will yeah, make the playoffs. And you know that was one of my favorite moments in Ranger baseball, being a Cardinals fan. Thanks, Monty. You are a Cardinals Sorry, fan. Man. And that's and why, like all, the that's why all my Ranger fans <laughs> friends hate Joe Buck. And David Freeze lives rent rent free in my head. Yeah, well, Joe no. Buck, because Joe Buck called it, and so I remember Brad Kellner and you and my buddy Stu. Everybody hates Joe Buck. Hate <laughs> like, what do you hate Joe Buck so much? He's not bad. Yeah, uh, and of course I, because of the Cardinals, I just think of him as Jack Buck's kid. <laughs> Jack Buck's son. Uh, Jurassic Monty is here. This says, uh, guys. The d- defense travels, folks. As long as it shows up every week, this team will have a chance to win them all. My prediction is that uh, the twenty-four given up to Bama on the road is the most they'll give up uh, is all season. All right. Well, look, if that's the case, they're going to be undefeated. Yep. If the Longhorns don't give up another, because, yeah, they've, they've, they've held the other three opponents to under 10 points. Is Oklahoma considered on the road? That's a Texas home game, but it's a neutral well, side, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, look, I mean, that's that's to me that's been the most consistent part of this team, the defense, uh, the defensive line. The secondary has given up some plays. But when you control the line of scrimmage the way they do and with the depth in which they do it, um, and you've got fresh bodies in there all the time, and we talk about fresh early, you, when you can be fresh and have your best players with fresh legs in the fourth quarter of a football game because you were able to rotate through the first three, uh, there aren't many teams in the country that can do that. Um, you know, We'll talk about that coming up in Bullish or BS because uh, the other, one of the other marquee games of the weekend is USC-Colorado, right, up there in Boulder. Oh, that's an early game. They're playing that game at 11 in Boulder. It's all for TV. I know Fox wants the big noon game, but that's like 10 o'clock USC body time, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or 9 o'clock. I mean, that's early uh, for the Trojans, but they'll, they'll get up and play. But um, I'll give you some numbers on that. That's that's the Colorado problem, right? The Colorado Buffaloes are good. They're skilled, but they don't – in Kansas. Kansas last year, they don't – but the one thing I'll say about the Jayhawks this year, Monty, is they've, they've, they rotate 10 defensive linemen. 
They really do. They got into the portal and found quality D linemen. They're not the Texas quality, but they they're going to be able to rotate more. That's why I think this game's a little closer, or something actually a lot closer than the 55-14 beating of last year. But somebody else texted on our text line, and we appreciate it. It says uh, Sark should run the damn ball ten straight times, first ten plays, run it down their throat. I don't disagree with that because last year you had 400 plus on the board against Kansas running the ball. Bijan had almost 300 of those on his own, and I would like to see them on a hot day. Come out and see if they're ready to stop it this time around. You know what I mean? I mean, at least just uh, send the message early that, hey, we're here to run the ball again. Jonathan Brooks has been hot. We got C.J. Baxter, too. And, yeah, we can throw it, but we didn't have to last year. Why should we this year just set that attitude and set that tone early in this game? Uh, would be because again they're gonna if you watch Texas film you've got to you can't come up and be in a, in a strong run defense you've got to be worried about X you got to be worried about yeah. their passing game what they'll do uh, come out and, and just like you did last year at Lawrence and bully ball this team yeah I mean the you know we were talking my writing partner and I were talking about if you if you begin to trade like kind of components this for that are you a stronger offense losing Bijan Robinson. But the emergence of Sanders at tight end, just a deadly tight end, maybe the best tight end in the nation. And then Ewers having more mobility this year. I think it's significantly more mobility. Is that a net gain for the Longhorns versus sure. Bijan? Yeah, you can last be year? you can be a better team offense. You're not better. You can't be better without Bijan Robinson on the field, and it's just not but because he was the ultimate weapon. But at the same time, you had limitations last year with a young quarterback who was a little bit out of shape, who was learning the game and thinking on the field, and then a young offensive line that was not you know great yet. And yeah, and a JT Sanders in his first full year of playing tight end. I think you're exactly right. Now you add an, uh, add an I Mitchell to that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've said a lot. JT Sanders is the biggest problem for Big 12 defensive coordinators here on out. It doesn't matter if they're in a, in a heavy package, in a, in a, in a spread package, uh, 21 personnel, 11, 12. He's on the field. Yep. And you got to deal with him on every play. And, and he blocks well. And so does Worthy for that matter. Their receivers block really well. Well, except for five. He needs to get better. Everybody else, pretty good. <laughs> Jordan Whittington, I think X-Man's a pretty good blocker. I think JT. But, yeah, that's you, – so if you're if you're a defensive coordinator, you want to roll coverage to X-Man, right? You just do. You he, He's your most dynamic weapon. Um, you know, the the Wyoming coach said X is the fastest player he's ever seen on a football field. So defensive coordinators are nervous about number one. Well, okay, so you can only double one guy. It's the Rod Baber's math equation or, or math yep. problem. If I double him, well, now I'm singled on five and I'm singled on zero. That's a problem because uh, they're going to win that almost always. So if you're a defensive coordinator, what are you doing? You you putting a linebacker on Jatavion Sanders? Or are you trying to cover him with a safety or a DB? And if you go light, then they can run the ball. Uh, this is why Texas is going to be, if they, as they continue to gain rhythm offensively and get more and more comfortable to join that defense, that's where the sky is the limit for this football team if they uh, do all those things. We'll be back. We'll do a little bullish or BS. How good are the Detroit Lions after last night's pounding of the Packers? Also, uh, we'll talk about some of the other big games around college football outside of Texas and Kansas. It's a Friday edition. Hook them up. Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan. Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Time for bullish or BS on a Friday. Things we're really, really bullish on and maybe calling BS on. Or not maybe, we are. I'm calling BS on this USA performance over there in uh, Europe right now. Because the Euros are bullying Team USA right now, big time. 
Uh, already won the first four matches of the day in dominant fashion, and right now leading two others in the afternoon sessions over in, Europe, in Rome. Two others are tied. Safe to say the U.S. is staggered and on the ropes. Babalu called it. Yeah, Babalu was with us yesterday, the uh, sports director over there at CBS Austin, our former golf expert. When we had our golf show on Saturday morning, Bob was great. And he said, yep, I'm calling Euros. Because, look, it's, it's, it's on their turf. They get to set the course up to their liking, right, and how they are, their players are going to attack it. They know the course better. Uh, the crowd's obviously behind them, and uh, they've they come after Team USA right now, without a doubt. Uh, also, bullish on the Detroit Lions. They're going to win the uh, NFC North. That, that's the best team in that division. Um, helps them a lot that the Vikings are off to a rough start at 0-3 because they still think the Vikings are a pretty good team. As you said, they've had seven turnovers, seven lost fumbles already, um, or, or they, they would have they won that Chargers game. Uh, if they, they would have. Uh, they also lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. they got two home losses, but in those games, they've been their own worst enemy. But either way, Detroit's good. Detroit's real good. And they took it out on the Packers last night. That was a pounding. And and is that the one? Is It's the uh, Vikings that the Lions don't play until December? Is that is that Right. Is that the Vikings right? and Lions don't play. They, they play in two of the last three weeks of the season, December 24th and then early January. Wow. Which is kind of odd. But, yeah, the NFL wants those compelling sure. divisional matchups late. may not matter by then, that point for the Vikings because if they can't. If the ball starts bouncing their way, it could those could be really dramatic games. But so far the Vikings are just snake bit because they're doing, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Kirk Cousins leading the league in terms of quarterback rating. Yeah, they're moving the ball. They just keep fumbling it. Uh, and their defense is still, eh, it's middle of the road. And the Lions, that's what was impressive. This dude, Aiden Hutchinson, last night. Yeah, this defense. That first sack he had where he just mauled the O-lineman, oh. reached over, um, That's got like, Love. We oh, talk about pl- awesome. draft bust, but I, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars would like to have that back. I mean, they took the kid Trevon Walker out of Georgia. Aiden Hutchinson's the more productive player. He's the more disruptive player. Trayvon Walker is just a big athlete who doesn't do a lot. Um, he hasn't but, done anything in the NFL. No. And that team, uh, and that you know, credit to Dan, uh, Dan Campbell, the coach, but, man, their, their general manager has done a whale of a job. Those draft picks are hitting, right? I mean, they, they have four draft picks last year, two in the first round, and they're all starting and they're all making impact. You know, Jameer Gibbs isn't getting the carries that fantasy football owners want him to get because David Montgomery's playing so good. But think about the moves they made. They were they were close to being a playoff team a year ago after the horrible start. And then they went out and they attacked the draft. All four of their top picks are playing, including their tight end, Sam Laporta, the kid uh, Brian Branch, the safety out of Alabama. Uh, had a had a big play last night. The linebacker Jack Campbell out of Iowa, uh, all starting, and uh, then they go sign David Montgomery. I mean, these they, they've done a nice job of building that roster. They have the best offensive line, one of the best offensive lines in the NFC, and um, they're running behind it. They're good. It's a good team. That's 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 a lot of substance to what they do in Detroit. Well, I'm I'm excited for their fan base too. You know, I mean, the Lions, one of the very few, one of only two teams that haven't made it to the Super Bowl, and um, Oilers. Texans. Come yeah. on, man. Well, Oilers, I mean. Those are the only teams? It's heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, no. Tex- right now, it's... it's Cleveland? Te- it's Texas, yeah, Cleveland. That's right. Texas, Cleveland, and Detroit. But Detroit just sells out. I mean, Detroit fans are Chargers so Chargers have loyal. not been either. They're, I think their Chargers have never been to a Super Bowl. They haven't? Yes, they have. They got blasted by the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. Dan Fouts. Right? Blasted by the 49ers. Yeah, Fouts. Uh, but 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 the Lions fan base. I mean, they sell out every game. They can they they can be you know 
three and ten and just a rabid sellout. The Detroit is long suffering, great fans. sports town, and I'm thrilled for their fan base. And I like Dan Campbell, right? I mean, uh, Bucky always used to tell the story about recruiting Dan Campbell, and he ended up going to A&M. Um, <laughs> he's a better fit at A&M. He's a country boy, but, man, he's tough. His team is tough. Is he from Texas? Dan Campbell? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's from small-town Texas. And uh, Bucky went and recruited him. And, I'm going to look him up. Um, but, yes, yeah, so he ended up going where he should go on A&M. He's, yeah. a, he's a country boy. <laughs> yeah, Bucky said he walked in and was like, yeah, I can tell where you're going. Right yeah. off the bat. Not putting much effort into this yeah, one. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but, yes, that's a good team. Uh, Ty, you're bullish on them. I picked them to win the division. I feel like that that was – I'm, I'm going to be right on that. Um, you picked Minnesota. Are you starting to see the uh, light on the on the Lions here? I mean, I, I still have hope. It's a long season. Long season. They still have the best offensive weapon in the NFL. Uh, quarterback who's playing well. If they, they can get a run, if they can get what, anything, though? any run game cut down on the turnovers, defense is better than last year, I still think they have a chance. Let me say this way. Best offensive weapon in football right now, in my opinion, is an offensive line. I mean, quarterback is obviously, you got to have it. But right now, if you watch the NFL weekly, offensive line plays bad right now. Uh, Rod would tell you, and we talk about it a lot, they don't hit as much in practice. They don't get as much time together. They do less practices during the offseason and then in camp. And offensive line play is just not very good. That's one of the things you see some ugly football out there. And a lot of times it's not just the quarterback play. Offensive line plays bad. The Lions have a great offensive line. I mean, Penny Sewell was a great draft pick for them. The interior of their line. Think about who the best offensive lines are right now. Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Detroit in the NFC. Those dudes, and when they're healthy, the Cowboys are. You yeah, know, I think so. Sitting, I think yeah. so. That's realistic. All right, bullish or BS, Monty. The uh, writer strike is over. Is that happening? Is done? Oh yeah. I'm, I mean, the, the way the way that the negotiating committee acted, uh, the votes are next week. You get to vote uh, like you have a week to vote. Uh, but I think it's going to get it's going to get overwhelmingly voted. People I, are, I have a project idea for you. Sweet. Well, Don't say it on the air, for well, God's no, well, sake. Well, Let's yeah. talk about it privately. Well, someone suggested on the text line yesterday that you, we should do a sitcom about my life. The life of Ty. Or base, be... base loosely on my life. <laughs> the life of Ty. That's great. A Seinfeld kind of. God, here's another episode about he loses his keys. <laughs> his wallet. No, but uh, but but I, I think it's going to pass, you know. And uh, it, it, interesting stuff. Now, I'm, I'm working on a project right now that's not covered by the Guild. It's not, it's not, it's not affected by anything. So I've been able to work, but... Uh, but you know, a lot of people—it's it, hand to mouth. People, people think that you know they drive Porsches and drink fruity drinks all day long, and it's not that way for a lot of riders. I'm, I'm, I'm happy it's settled. I'm happy they're getting what they want, pretty much. I can explain it later about what the deal. We got is. five hours, Monty. We'll get it. Uh, it says, is it a bad offensive line or just really good defensive lines with key players? Look, I think it's a combination of both. But the best athletes on the field are the defensive linemen. I mean, those are your. I mean, offensive line will tell you that those guys are bigger and they're great athletes. Yeah. If you combine the both, if you've got these these stellar defensive lines that teams are building, and then you have a bad offensive line, I mean, ask Dave Aranda what it's like to try to work around getting your ass kicked up front on both sides. I mean, you're, what are you doing? Yep. I mean, Texas has done this for years, where they're just average on the offensive line. They're even below average. You know, what what changes? What what takes you from one level to the next? Line of line of scrimmage. And that's for me. That's the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff is not any better or worse a quarterback he was with the Rams. He's just got great skill players. He gets to play off play action all the time, and they don't ask him to do too much. Um, that's you know, well, offensive line is. It's, it's not. This is like an obvious thing, but at the same time, I think people don't talk about it enough, and it's overlooked. 
when, when a team goes bad or a team gets good. All right, we'll pick it up on the other side. We roll forward. We've got Friday football. We'll talk about all the big games around the uh, country, including that USC-Colorado game, Texas and Kansas, and the rest. It's Hook them Up with Ian Rodby.